Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of November 22, 2015. It's almost time for the fourth annual ACB Holiday Auction, coming up on Sunday, December 6, from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time on ACB Radio. All proceeds from the auction benefit ACB Radio, and this year there are nearly 70 fabulous items on the auction block. Visit our auction preview page to see the Thomas Kincaid Music Box, the solar backpack that lets you charge your phone on the go, the Brazilian topazes and the diamond fascination earrings, the early morning survival kit, complete with a Keurig coffee maker, the T-Fowl Grill, and the George Foreman Grill, and the gigantic doggy carry-all bag. Look for the Bissinger Chocolates from Missouri, the Taste of North Carolina gift basket, prickly pear muffins from Arizona, Maker's Mark bourbon balls from Kentucky, and a Divine Chocolates treasure chest. There's another beautiful handmade quilt by Marjorie Beeman, handcrafted jewelry designed by Carrie Bishop, and much, much more. Some items yet to be posted on the preview page are a huge old-time radio collection, an incredible Tupperware gift basket, a Shirley Temple Dimples doll, a rose gold sterling silver and diamond bracelet, and much more. We hope to have all items posted by Thanksgiving. Visit the ACB Radio auction pages for descriptions and photos of the items, and for more information about how you can participate in the auction right from your living room. Get ready to bid, get ready to buy, get right on over to the 2015 ACB Radio auction pages at www.acb.org slash auction1215. And remember that to listen on Sunday, December 6, you tune us in on acbradio.org or call us from any phone to listen at 605-475-8130. Last week, we shared highlights from the Friday programming of the Kentucky Council of the Blind's recent 50th anniversary convention and we promise to bring you Saturday highlights this week. On page two, we'll hear from part of the presentation by Vanda Pharmaceuticals on non-24-hour sleep disorder, introduced by KCB Secretary Rick Bogus from Owensboro. Rick also introduces the session on homeowners and renters insurance presented by Charlie Good, a nationwide insurance agent here in Louisville. It's on page three. And Joey Couch, who is originally from Busy, Kentucky, in the Eastern Kentucky Mountains, and 
current KCB first vice president and president of both the Eastern Kentucky and Next Generation chapters, introduces a presentation on Kentucky's assistive technology loan program on page 4. And on page 5 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. If you're like me, as I was telling this uh, one of the uh, persons yesterday, I'm in denial that I have a sleep disorder, but uh, I know I do. Anyhow, uh, solve those sleep problems. Uh, we have with us today uh, representatives from uh, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, Kelly uh, Bison, Regional Business Director from Vanda, uh, is with us, and she's in, from Mort, uh, Fort Mitchell, and is it Marguerite? from, uh, will also be talking with us. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys and, uh, as I say, convince me I'm not in denial, or that I'm in denial, I should say. Thanks, Rick. Rick and I had fun talking yesterday. So I feel very, very um, thankful that Carl and Deb invited us to be here with you all today. We've, we've been at a lot of the national conventions, um, but have not been at the state conventions. We're trying to um, do a better job of bringing more awareness and education around non-24 and Heliosin. I am very happy to have Marguerite here who um, is joining us and she's going to share a little bit about what the challenges she has faced in regard to unusual sleep patterns in her life and the relief she's felt um, since she's taken Heliosin. But just, just so those of you who aren't aware of Vanda, um, Vanda has been doing research in non-24 for quite a few years now, and um, it's the first company that actually has a medication that treats non-24. And so um, just what that disorder means, everybody, every person has a circadian clock or a body clock and actually runs on a longer than a 24-hour day. And um, for sighted people, it actually gets reset. Your body clock's normally about 24 hours and 20 minutes. And we have light cues to get back to a certain part of the brain, and then our body clock gets reset every day. So for people that are blind or unable to perceive light, that body clock and sleep-wake cycle then tends to shift and um, is not in sync with the 24-hour day-night. This disorder is um, extremely rare in someone who's sighted, but extremely common in someone who ha is totally blind. About 70% of uh, those individuals we know now that are totally blind end up with this shift in their sleep. However, only 1% are actually diagnosed with the disorder. So we've got a lot of work to do in educating the healthcare um, professionals around what this disorder is and how to diagnose it. But anyway, I would like to have Marguerite come up and uh, talk to you all about her experiences with um, non-24 and Helios. Marguerite? My name is Marguerite. Um, I'm delighted to be here. Um, thanks so much for inviting me. And um, I appreciate Vanda for sponsoring me so that I have this opportunity to share my story of how I cope with non-24-hour sleep-wake disorder. And before I start, I uh, realize that the Kentucky Council and I are both celebrating 50 years. You are celebrating 50 years of your anniversary, and I'm celebrating 50 years of when I first met my husband, Ed, which was on November 12th, 
and you wonder, oh God, why, why should she remember that? Well, it's also my birthday, okay? <laughs> so I met him on my birthday. So we're all celebrating something really wonderful. I started losing my vision when I was 16 years old, and I started tripping on things in the dark. And when I told my parents, they said, nobody can see in the dark. Just pay attention, slow down. And I thought, mm, I don't know. I think I'm tripping on more things here. So they took me to see an ophthalmologist, and I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, a, a de progressive degenerative disease that can lead to total blindness. That's something I wasn't told at 16, which was probably okay because I'm not that sure how I would have dealt with that. But I can remember, and I look back now, and I was thinking the worst thing this doctor is going to tell me is that I have to wear glasses all the time because my kind of vain 16-year-old self didn't want to wear glasses. I didn't want to look different. I just wanted to fit in. So. Next little step in this is I would love to say my mother encouraged me, but actually my mother forced me into a training program for the visually impaired and blind. And the reason I went along with the program is because in order to go to college and get state rehab to help fund it for me, and college was very important to me, I had to complete the program. So I did complete the program. I wasn't a happy camper. I had an absolutely horrible negative attitude. One time in graduate school, I had to take a detour, and I took a path that I was not familiar with, and I fell down an entire flight of stairs. So at the bottom, I'm standing up. My legs are bloody. My jeans are ripped. People are running over to see if I'm dead. Um, and I stand up, and what's the biggest thing? I'm just so embarrassed. Embarrassment was more important than my physical being. Now I'm about 40, and I'm totally blind at that time. And I start, a journey takes another little twist here because I'm having sleep issues, which I hadn't had before. I'm having trouble going to sleep, and I'm having trouble staying asleep. Or if I wake up, I have to listen to books for hours before I'm able to go back to sleep. And then I wake up exhausted. And so part of me is thinking, well, okay, now you're totally blind. That's a lot of energy, concentration. You have to remember where you put things. You know, the, your cane travel takes more energy. Don't be a wimp. Shape up here and stop complaining. But the other part of me knew internally there was something more than that. It was just something wasn't right. And uh, I had to make a difficult decision around that time. I had a successful uh, private psychotherapy practice that I had built. But I had to make a decision to cut back to part-time. And I was really sad and somewhat depressed about that because I enjoyed the work. I'd worked hard to get to that place. But I just, in order to do a good job and have any kind of a balanced life that was other than just try to sleep and work, I had to make that decision.
So um, that was not an easy time. And so I thought, well, I'm not one to give up. So I thought, well, there's something out there. So I went to my doctor, and I told him, uh, you know, how tired I was and my symptoms. And I thought, well, you know, what kind of solutions might you have? Okay. And, okay, and he said, he said to me, okay, um, you know, every woman who comes in here over 40 complains of fatigue. I was so angry, and I just was so ticked that he had dismissed my concern like that, that um, he didn't take me seriously and told him, that's not a diagnosis, doctor. So I went and motivated me to start looking for other things. So I went to hematologists thinking maybe I um, had a blood, you know, anemia. I did vitamin B shots. I did over-the-counter things. I was now living in California, so like every great Californian, I tried acupuncture, Reiki, crazy herbs, not-so-crazy herbs, supplements, massage. You name it, I tried it, and nothing worked. And I had never heard of non-24-hour sleep-wake disorder. So it's getting to be, the, uh, you know, um, difficult now. I'm, I'm not wanting to do things. I'm not interested in travel anymore. I'm not interested in exercise. Um, I'm just having more and more difficult time trying when I don't get any rest. So 10 years go by, and they say, oh, 50, menopause. You know, that that's why you're tired. And then you go to 60, and they go aging. And I figure at some point I'll be dead, and they'll go, God, the woman really was tired, you know? And so um, it got to be more and more difficult for me to function effectively as I, I didn't, wasn't getting sleep. And um, I was, this was a, a really down, depressed time for me. In January 2012, I was asked to participate in a trial study for a medication, which is now called Hetlios, for totally blind people with sleep-wake problems. So I went down, um, I went through a lot of lab work and tests, and I was diagnosed with non-24-hour sleep-wake disorder. It's a term I had never heard before. But when I read more and I was informed about the symptoms, I went, oh, this is me. This is definitely me. And um, believe me, Rick, you're not the only one that was in denial here. So, you know, I was just, I thought, oh, my God, it was such a relief. And I was thrilled to know that this wasn't in my head. I wasn't lazy. It wasn't that I wasn't pushing myself hard enough. It was a real thing. So because my circadian rhythm was so out of whack from the test, they decided to put me right on the medication initially. So I started taking Hetlios from the very beginning. I wasn't in the placebo group. And slowly, um, things began to change for me. I had some hesitation in taking a trial drug, but the way that they monitored it and they kept, uh, they were really on top of it for me and testing, and I saw the doctor every month, and my questions were always answered, I got to feel more and more comfortable. And then down the road, um, you know, as things started to change in the positive direction, that helped me a lot. So the things that started to change, I was able to go to sleep, 
And when I woke up, I could go back to sleep more quickly. Okay, and I started uh, to be more interested in socializing, things I, I'd like to do before. And um, a big thing for me is I had st stopped wanting to travel, and now I wanted to travel again. So one of the things I was able to do was go swim with sharks and stingrays in Polynesia, which, a little aside, I won't be doing that again if I get all the energy in the universe. That was a little scarier, but on the, at least I had the energy to do it. And on the tamer side, I was able to wander among kangaroos and feed and pet them in Australia. So I felt like my zest for life was coming back. And I can remember Ed saying to me one time, Marguerite, it's so nice to have you back. And I felt like I was coming back. So that was a, just a really wonderful, wonderful feeling. Now, it's important to know that this is my experience, and yours may be somewhat different, but it's super important to go talk to your doctor about any of these concerns or symptoms, the medications, side effects. Um, I've, my side effects have been I've had dry mouth and occasionally some headaches. But your doctor is really the person that can answer lots of questions about any kind of, um, of side effects. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that every single night I sleep perfectly, because I don't. Okay, I still have some difficult nights, but they're less frequent. I still like to nap. Only now I nap by choice. And maybe I'll take a nap for half hour, an hour. Instead, before I was napping, and I couldn't, after three and four hours, I could hardly get up, right? And I was still tired, so I wasn't refreshed, you know? And so that was um, just a really super difficult, right? And I can remember my mom years ago saying to me, you know, honey, they can take everything away from you but your attitude. And sometimes when, you, you know, I feel out of control and, and kind of hopelessness kind of rears its ugly little head up there, I remember I am in charge of my attitude. And from attitude can come choice, and from choice can come possibilities and hope. And that's why I feel like much more hopeful in my life right now because as I'm able to replenish my body and my soul with rest, if you are suffering from non-24 and, and kind of a sleep-wake problem, you know, it's important to know that you don't have to be out there alone, that there is help. And today, after this, I know Kelly and I would be delighted to answer group questions or individual questions because I know I had lots of questions. So thanks so much for listening to me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Marguerite. Um, we actually do have, um, we were at the exhibit, or I was there yesterday, and so if you do have questions you'd like to speak with Marguerite directly, um, feel free to do that. You know, I mentioned earlier that this disorder, only 1% are actually diagnosed. I think Marguerite's example of you know, the, a lot of the healthcare um, professionals are unfortunately not familiar with non-24. Um, it is something that's generally prescribed and treated by a 
primary care physician. There's not a sleep study for it. It's a clinical assessment. Um, but if they're aware of it, it's something that's very simple for them to, to assess in somebody who's totally blind. And, um, you know, some of the questions I get asked real quickly are, is this a um, sleep medication? It's not, this is not a sleep medication. It does not, it's not addictive. It does not cause, you know, drowsiness. Is this a circadian rhythm disorder treatment? Um, I also get asked about, you know, um, how do I get the medication? It's actually because this is an orphan that goes through especially pharmacy. It's not available at a local pharmacy. The medication gets mailed to the patient directly, and there's financial assistance for anyone, who, whether you have commercial insurance or Medicare, Medicaid. I say that because I get asked that question a lot as well. And um, Vanda's goal is for um, most individuals to have very little if no out-of-pocket expense. So I'm happy to say most people do not have an out-of-pocket expense. Um, some do have a copay, but their goal is to make sure that copay is very minimal. Um, but I do, you know, we do offer now an opportunity for anyone who would like more information. If you want to raise your hand, I can come by. We have healthcare educators um, that work with individuals for their, uh, you know, specifically with you um, to get information that you have. If you have a physician like information to get to, we can help bridge that gap because it's very frustrating, I know, when you go to speak with a physician and they do not um, know what you're talking about. And that's very aggravating. So yes, keep your hands raised for if you're interested, I will um, come by and get your information. Thank you so very much. Thanks, Rick. Okay, we want to thank, uh, Vanda has been a, a, is a major sponsor for this conference. We want to thank them for being here today. Page three. Next, we have um, protecting your stuff, insurance tips you can use. And we have with us uh, Charles Good, who's an agent with Nationwide Insurance in, here in Louisville. So, Charles, did you come forward? Marguerite's going to be a hard act to follow. I can see that right now. Such a beautiful day out there. Kind of question why anybody would be in here wanting to hear about insurance, but it's your all's choice. Uh, frankly, I was a little surprised when Carla asked me to uh, come and talk about uh, homeowners insurance and renters insurance. Um, most people will steer away from that as much as possible because they feel like it's too complicated. Uh, difficult to understand, far too expensive, and full of a lot of words you don't understand. Uh, the only way to overcome that is to have an agent that you trust and maybe have some referrals from that will deal with you and not push you, let you ask questions, give you information, and let you make a decision on what you want to do. Can I ask, with a show of hands, how many people here are homeowners? Okay, lots. And how many are renters? About equal. Homeowners insurance and renters insurance differ only in the fact that the homeowner insurance covers the structure. The renters insurance covers only your personal property. Homeowners, of course, will cover your personal property and a number of other things, so we'll go through that a little bit first. Um, if you've ever had a mortgage, you know that it's required that you have 
homeowner's insurance on it. The mortgage company is only concerned that you have enough coverage uh, to pay off their, what you owe them. Uh, there's far more that goes into it than that. You can't even go by the purchase price. Uh, I'll give you an example. Just this week, I insured a house on Eastern Parkway. It was built in 1909, and it's three stories tall, 7,200 square foot. The man paid $390,000 for it. I use a BOIC equivalency formula, a very accurate formula to determine what it will cost to replace that structure with like kind and quality. It came out to $1.2 million. Um, that's granted is a, is a uh, far-fetched um, example. I don't run into that very often, but it's not unusual to have a house as new as 10 years old and find a replacement cost on it is much higher than the than the building cost, uh, than the purchase price. With a renter's policy or a homeowner's policy, either one, you, you know about what your liability is as far as the loss of your property. You know what that house is worth. You know what's in it. You know about what that's worth. So, and with the renter, you know, you know, you got your stuff in there, as Carla said, and, and you know that about what that's worth. In both cases, don't sell yourself short because that contents coverage is a lot more comprehensive than most people think. It covers more than your furniture. It covers more than your clothes. It covers cosmetics. It covers um, uh, medications. It covers the pots and pans. It covers your Christmas ornaments. So be realistic about what you actually need in that area. Whether you're a renter or you're a homeowners, one of the things that's most often overlooked by the consumer is the liability coverage. When you know about what your potential for loss is in, in the home, you know what that value is, and you're renters, you know what your stuff is worth, you know what the maximum is you're going to lose in the event that you don't have coverage. With liability insurance in this state, it's open-ended. We do not have a cap on the amount that can be awarded for, a li for liable. What they can take is everything you own, including your future earnings. You don't want to get caught in that trap. Uh, homeowners policies will come, renters policies will come, basically with uh, $100,000 to $500,000 worth of personal liability. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the best deal in the insurance industry because it is not expensive compared to what it costs to replace the house. I will be right up front with you. Uh, the probability that you will need a half million dollars or even $300,000 worth of liability insurance is relatively low. The, the probability that you will need every penny of it if someone gets hurt on your property, you have a dog bite, even a burglar trying to get in your house cuts his hand. You could you, you could need a whole lot of that three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars worth of coverage. Um, going back to the similarities in them, most people will ask in a, in a an appointment, "Does this policy cover fire? How about theft? Will it cover me if I have a tornado?" and so on and so forth. That's okay, but the better way 
to find out what you're buying is to ask that agent, what does this policy not cover? So that you're prepared for it. Some of the basics is it won't cover a flood. That's against the law in the state to include flood insurance in a homeowner's policy because FEMA controls that. Won't cover earthquake. There again, you cannot include it in a homeowner's policy. You can have it endorsed in a homeowner's policy, and you need to discuss with the agent. The, the, he can give you some guidance into whether or not you really need those things. It also won't cover identity theft, water backup, or something called ordinance by law. If you're like me, I live, I've been in the same house now for 29 years. The house was built in 1972. If that house went down and had to be rebuilt, building codes would have to be updated substantially. That's not included in the value of your homeowner's policy, but you can have it endorsed so that they will rebuild it with current code. Um, I, could, I, I could go on and get into a lot of technicalities and a lot of verbiage that, uh, you know, it's not familiar to you and it really wouldn't probably do you much good. So I've about covered everything you need to know on it. I'll just take some questions. I appreciate everything. We, we talk some because uh, I have a homeowner's policy with you. and um, Really? What's yeah, your name? It's Deanna Scoggins. Oh, hey, Deanna. How are you? Good. And um, But my question is, uh, you your agency has been pretty good about reading things. Um, one time I went to your office, and I don't know who it was, but she read a lot, and I recorded it. But I wonder about uh, ways that policies could be more like accessible or uh have you thought have you ever thought about that yes and and that's something that comes up occasionally in the companies um i have tried twice in my 39 year career to get a copy of a braille policy i have not been successful in either case the best way to do it is to bring someone with you i'm sorry Okay, you can, well, you can, you can pull up what's called ISO forms. That's insurance service offices forms, and th they are the basics of what a homeowner will cover, and you can work from that. I have offered to, on many occasions, to read the policy to an individual. Nobody has ever accepted that because the average homeowner's policy will be something in the neighborhood of 12 pages long, and it's small print, and it's writ... Yeah, that's what most people do, and that's, that's you know, that's, uh, frankly, that's, you're ahead of the game there. Most people just wad it up and put it in a file cabinet someplace and don't think about it until the house burns down, then they can't get the policy. But um, uh, the best way, like I say, is to have someone there. Even a better way, in, in my opinion, is to deal with an agent that you're comfortable with uh, if you already have an existing agent, then you're probably pretty comfortable with them, and that individual can consolidate what a homeowner's policy is telling you in about 15 minutes. Um, that's not to say it's going to cover every little detail on it. That's why I say ask what does this policy not cover. That's the most important thing in an insurance contract. Did that help in any? Okay. Carla? Charlie, would you talk a bit 
about um, how uh, people are covered under the uh, homeowners policies uh, when they're doing volunteer work? Yes. Um, well, first of all, I need to make a clarification. Um, I was referred to as an agent for Nationwide, which is correct. My contract is 40 years old. My original contract with Nationwide was signed as an independent agent. I advertise under Nationwide because that contract says that they will pay 50% of any advertising that I do. Well, I'm no idiot. I'll, I'll take that 50%. But I do have other companies. Uh, the uh, question that Carla asked, uh, would you repeat that again, Carla? And oh. Because it's, okay. it's important to get the details there. Yeah. Um, well, what I'm basically interested in is we have people here from several different um, chapters and, and okay. so on. And what I'd like for people to know um, is, is how um, people who are doing volunteer work um, can be uh, covered in some of the work that they're doing. And there's also people who just volunteer to help others um, in various capacities. So if you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. And what, what is possible and what is not, that reason, would be really helpful. The reason I wanted her to give, uh, to repeat that is what I'm going to talk about is what happens in the state of Kentucky. I do not offer a homeowner's policy that carries less than $300,000 worth of liability. I simply won't sell it or has does not have a proviso in there that says if you are a non-paid volunteer in any organization any liability incurred by you through that organization is covered under the liability section of your policy um, and that's something that if you do a lot of volunteer work can can in some cases be pretty um, dicey most places will carry uh, insurance for you and that would be what's called primary but if that limit is exceeded then your homeowner's policy comes into play and your 300 to 500 or whatever you've elected uh, would pay for that the only stipulation there is you cannot be receiving any kind of remuneration i was you mentioned that a lot of insurance doesn't cover identity theft is there any kind of rider or, or endorsement or anything that you um, can ask for to be able to cover you for that because that is a growing problem these Ab days. absolutely the items that i covered including identity theft that are not covered under basic homeowners which was identity theft flood earthquake water backup and uh the the update in uh, uh code for your structure can all be endorsed on a homeowner's policy. Uh, in case of identity theft, I have companies that offer that uh, for as little as $45 a year. I have some others that want $200 a year for it. So it pays to, to let that agent shop around for you a little bit. This is Rick Roderick again. Uh, my question is, if my does the homeowner's policy cover it if I, let's say, my computer were stolen. Uh, I know in the past I was told, but this was their like late 80s. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we, you have to get an endorsement for that. Is that still true? Uh, well, that's, a, that's an excellent question, and um, there's no real simple answer to it. I will tell you this. 
uh, every uh, every policy, standard homeowner's policy that I know of operating in this state will have a list of theft limitations. So if you have a computer that burns up in a house, it's covered under your basic contents coverage, which is 70% of what the dwelling is insured for. Or in the case of a renter, it's a stipulated amount. I want fifteen, dollars dollars $20,000, $25,000 worth of coverage. If it's stolen, the limit on most of them is $2,000 unless you increase that amount, which is an option to you. Uh, most of them will go up to as high as $10,000. I live in a house that's 80 years old, and there is a 200-foot oak tree that is dead on the exactly on the property line between myself and my next door neighbor and that get that sucker down <laughs> somebody <laughs> said um and it is such a beautiful amazing gorgeous tree but every time the wind blows we lose limbs mm -hmm. and i i live in fear of um you know big honking limbs coming through the roof yeah and and Whose responsibility would it be? Mine or my neighbors? Well, that's, uh, that's a question that, that uh, the answer is true for Kentucky, Indiana, and about every uh -huh. other state that I know. It's a classic act of God. Oh. And the way the law states it in the state of Kentucky is the claim lay where the debris lay. It's the uh -huh. same thing as you get hit by a tornado and it takes your roof off and goes down two blocks and smashes it into somebody's house. You had no control over that. The only exception to that is if a uh, neighbor informs you in writing that mm -hmm. it presents a clear and current danger to their property, mm -hmm. that will automatically shift the liability to you if okay. that should happen. Okay. You get you get into a lot of legal issues with this Amen. with insurance, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate talking with you folks. Appreciate Carla asking me. and I'm glad to hear that I had a good insured in there. She's been with me a long time. Thank you. Page four. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, if you look in your programs uh, under the 230 slot, we have uh, where it says affordable technology. I don't know about the rest of you, but that sounds like a good news to me. <laughs> At least something worth looking into. So we have... Uh, Sarah Richardson with us. She's from. She's a uh, program coordinator from the uh, uh, Kentucky Assistive Technology uh, Loan Office in Frankfurt, and we haven't had anyone from that uh, particular organization for quite a number of years. Come to find out when we uh, got around to putting together this year's convention, and so we're glad to have her with us. Uh, so we're going to step aside here and let her tell uh, what the organization is, how it works, and uh, all that good stuff. So enjoy. Thank you so much. My name again is Sarah Richardson and I'm with the Kentucky Assistive Technology Loan Corporation. Um, that is a mouthful, um, but essentially what we do is we provide low interest loans for individuals with disabilities to purchase assistive technology. Um, <coughs> the definition that we use for assistive technology is any device or piece of equipment that improves the quality life of life or independence for a person with a disability. Now, if you'll notice, that's a very broad definition. The reason that we went that route is because, as you all know, assistive technology changes constantly. So we didn't want to put ourselves into a pigeonhole with a definition that might limit a source or, or a piece of technology for an individual. 
The minimum that we do loan is $500. The maximum is $25,000. Um, so we know that some devices may be less than $500, but certainly you can bundle those items together to get that $500 minimum. Um, the current interest rate is prime plus 1.25%. And as I'm sure you've all heard on the news, the Fed is looking at raising the interest rate. If the Fed does raise the interest rate, our interest rate, unfortunately, will change as well. So if you are interested in applying for one of our loans, I would suggest that you would do that before the Fed meets. And I think they're meeting either December the 8th or 9th. So that is fast approaching. What the, is prime? Um, prime is um, the rate that is established by the Fed. It's kind of a baseline number that um, lending institutions will use to base their um, loaning the interest rate of funds. Um, 4.5 minus the 1.25. Um, so 3, 3.25. <laughs> um, I'm shifting gears. I was over at the North American Livestock Show. So, <laughs> so um, this room is a little quieter than the room that I was previously in. Um, the, um, <laughs> the you, yes, you smell a lot better. <laughs> uh, the um, terms for the loans um, will depend upon the device. But just to give you a little perspective, um, hearing aids are on a three-year repayment schedule. Um, a basic computer is on an 18-month schedule. Um, and then the other devices, we try to make sure that um, you know, it works with someone's income. We don't want to um, have you paying more interest than what you need to pay to be able to obtain the device. Um, the unique thing about our program, which is in partnership with Fifth Third Bank, is that we do count Social Security and disability benefits as income. A traditional lending program would automatically deny those loans. To um, apply for a loan, we do have an application packet, and there is supporting documentation that you would need to include. Um, for example, um, we would need a price quote for the device, so you would need to have already made the decision about the device you want and where you want it purchased from. Um, we don't um, have a list of vendors. We don't say that you can or cannot purchase from this person, this company or, or, or the other company. That is completely up to you. So as a consumer, you need to have done your homework in regards to that company. Do they have good customer service, uh, warranties? things like that, how the repairs are handled. So you have to be a good consumer when you're looking at making a purchase. We would also need a copy of the driver's license or state-issued ID, and I get the question as to why. Um, a couple of years ago, the Patriot Act was passed, which says anyone conducting any financial transactions has to present a valid form of ID. Um, and that's been established in federal statute as either a driver's license or a state-issued ID. Um, we would need um, verification of your income. That could be paid stubs, award letters, tax returns. Any of those things would be acceptable. And then the other thing is we need verification of disability. Now, there is a whole list of items that we do accept as verification of disability. Um, first one being a note from a licensed treating medical professional that says you have a permanent disability. And guess what? 
That doesn't have to be the great American novel. The doctor could just put down, John Doe has the following permanent disability, period. It doesn't have to have the medical terminology, the words that are 9,000 miles long that the average person cannot spell. Um, it can even be written on a prescription pad, um, so it doesn't have to go to the transcribist in the office or anything of that nature. Um, we do count um, um, SSDI, uh, Medicare, Veterans Administration based upon disability. Um, if it is a minor child, the individualized service plan um, or the family service plan. Um, th so those are the, are the um, items that we do accept for verification of disability. The application itself is available on our website at www.katlc.ky.gov. Um, I do have um, brochures on the program. I have regular print, large print, and I do have braille as well. Um, <laughs> it comes from my background in independent living. Adam, Adam trained me on that front. <laughs> um, when I first started, I, I did not realize that Braille even existed, and Adam helped to educate me on that front to make sure that I did it properly. Um, just so you know, um, we do have individuals with loans statewide, so if you live in an area of the state that may not have a Fifth Third branch, we can still service your loan through Fifth Third. Um, the number one item that people are applying for loans for are, for are hearing aids, followed closely by vehicles with modifications, and then the third most um, item are um, vision aids, and I'm just using that as a broad category because um, I don't want to break those down into individual devices, but the, the vision aids are the third most loaned item that we loan money for. Um, we have been making loans since 2000. Um, for once, Kentucky, our program, is ranked in the top 10. Um, so for once, Kentucky is not in the basement in a ranking of a program. Um, so uh, I'm really proud of that. Every time when I go to our national conference and, you know, Kentucky pops up on that top 10 screen, it's, it's very pleasing uh, to see that. Is there an age limit on people you will make loans to? Actually, no, there is not an age limit. Um, just to give you a little perspective, um, we did um, a loan. Now, again, this was um, the parents took out the loan because it was a minor child, but it was um, a four-year-old child. And the oldest individual that we have made a loan for, um, she was 100 years old. Um, she applied for a loan for hearing aids and um, is still living and has paid off her loan. <laughs> And I'm guessing, and I'm surprised with this audience that the question didn't come up. Those four-legged creatures that I see around the room in various places, anybody going to ask about those or maybe want to know about those? We will do loans for the training of the dog. Um, so that's something that, you know, I know as funding in other areas dries up and things of that nature, that might be something that you might want to keep in mind. Um, right, and we can, we can do a loan for that training. Um, also, training of the use of an assistive technology device. That's also something that a loan can be done for as well. 
Hey, my question uh, for Sarah, once you get this loan paid off and you want something else, you can reapply? Yes, you can reapply. You can also um, apply for another loan while you are paying off a loan. Okay. As long as the dollar amounts of the loan and the new loan that you would like to apply for do not exceed $25,000. And it will be included in your loan payment? Um, I mean, will it be... We would have, it would be two different loans, and my concern is, you know, I honestly believe the interest rate's going to change come December with the Fed, so it, m it might take a little, um... I'm just curious. Okay, my email is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, F, as in Francis, dot Richardson. R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N at K-Y dot G-O-V. And it is very important that you use that F because there are about eight other Sarah Richardsons on the global listing within state government, and they tell me that I get interesting emails. My phone number is one eight seven seven six seven five zero one nine five. All right, sir. We do uh, thank you for dropping by and letting us know about the program and how it works. Uh, thank you. And, and hopefully, you'll get you some uh, inquiries out of it. So. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Page five. The Sound Prince Calendar. This week's calendar includes lots of holiday events, so listen for some great holiday cheer. On December 3, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold a quarterly membership meeting and annual holiday party. From 4 to 7 p.m., BCB will provide the main course, BCB board members will bring a dish, and anyone else is welcome to do so as well. Optional Dirty Santa gift exchange will be available, so if you want to participate, bring a wrapped gift, $10 in value. It's at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For information, contact BCB at 859-259-1834. On December 3, ACB Lions will hold its December conference call. This is the regular monthly meeting of ACBL, and the call-in number is 712-432-3900, and the code is 796096. On December 5 will be a holiday card factory at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum. From 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., visit the museum to craft your own tactile ornament and make unique holiday cards. It's free, but space is limited. For adults and children, registration is required. It's at the Printing House, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Call for reservations at 502-899-2213.
Also on December 5, Christmas with the Council in Louisville. 5 to 9 p.m., Bargain Table opens at 4.30. Co-sponsored by KCB's Next Generation Chapter, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky, Tri-State Library Users, and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. Includes dinner, games, caroling, kids' activities, and Santa. $5 per person. It's at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On December 6th is the 4th Annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction. From 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, live on ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by phone at 605-475-8130. Lots of great items for you to bid and buy. Visit www.acb.org slash auction 1215 for auction rules and to visit the preview page. On December 8th, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will hold its meeting and Christmas party from 12 to 2.30 p.m. Central Time in Owensboro. It's at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue. For information, call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On December 10, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its next mentoring training program from 9.30 a.m. to noon at the BCB office in Lexington. Mentors must be visually impaired and involved with the Bluegrass Council for at least a year. For information, contact Dr. Susan Amen at 859-259-1834. December 11 is the next GLCB Roundabout. Education and Technology at 3.30, Holiday Traditions at 5, Dinner, $5 per person at 6.15, Bingo, $2 a person, Games and Crafts from 7 to 10. Gift wrapping will also be available at United Crescent Hill Ministries on State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On December 12, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its Christmas party from 2 to 5 p.m. at Rima's Diner, 635 Madison Avenue in Covington. Bring a $10 gift for a man or woman if you're interested in participating in the gift exchange. For information, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On December 18 is the last GLCB roundabout for the year. Education and technology at 3.30, gift wrapping and more holiday fun at 5, dinner at 6.15, a person, and a carol sing, games and crafts at 7 p.m. At UCHM, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. And on December 19, the Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind will have its party at noon at the Ponderosa Steakhouse, 308 Morton Boulevard in Hazard. For information, call Joey Couch at 606-216-8033 or Frank Campbell at 606-693-9360. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.com.
www.sandprince.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.